ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting Podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it, but hey, my podcast and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Welcome to a special episode of History of a Haunting. This week we are releasing um, this episode on Inauguration Day because we are going to be talking to you all about White House, the ghosts of the White House. So Archie and I are pretty excited about this. Um, I haven't stopped talking to him about it all week. I'm like, how's your part <laughs> coming? And did you know this? And da 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 da. And um, so I am your host, Carrie. I am your host, Archie. And I'm Laura. Also a host? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and I am your sarcasm supplier, Laura. <laughs> um, we're gonna jump we're gonna jump right into the episode. I have one quick EVP. I want to promote that I'm going to be tomorrow, January 21st. I'm going to be on a Strange Oddities podcast uh, with Matt Haas. And I'm very excited about that. We're gonna talk all things, well. Strange and odd. So, <laughs> oh, well, you'll fit right in. No, well, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> shut up. I hate you. But he's right. So, yes, um, <laughs> join us <laughs> wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Um, and I will see you guys then. So, yeah, be sure to tune in. So, Arch, you have uh, two pieces of your part to do today <clears throat> on the White I House. I do. I really do. And I would love to talk about the article that I read called The Obstinate Mr. Burns and the First White House by Catherine Brote on boundarystones.weta.org. But the article is actually longer than the history I have for the White House. <laughs> so I'm going to have to kind of cut this down. Okay. But basically, in 1791, General Washington was busy planning his namesake city. Congress had approved and gave the president um, the allowance to create the new capital and buy land. And David Burns was known for being a difficult neighbor. And if anyone, if he believed that anyone encroached on his land, he immediately took them to court. And if he believed that. Yeah, if he believed that tenants defied property agreements, he forced them off the land. I feel so, like he's like the 1700 Sheldon Cooper. Oh, not even that. Sheldon would concede when he knew he was wrong. Would, <laughs> would he, though? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but with Washington attempting to purchase Mr. Burns' land all the time, he, they just... They were adversarial, to say the least. The article is pretty good, except for where they uh, transpose first names. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it's really it's really a fascinating read. Um, Mr. Burns did relent after a while, 
um, ultimately selling off his property for premium price, acre by acre. Oh. Um, how, wait, and, how many acres? Um, I didn't get to read that part. 600 acres, right in the heart of oh. what Washington planned for D.C. Wow, okay. That's yeah. a lot of money. <clears throat> yeah, he, he got a lot of money. Um, as a matter of fact, after Mr. Burns died, his daughter, Marsha, became one of the wealthiest heiresses in town. She ended up marrying General John P. Van Ness, a congressman from New York, who later became mayor of the city and the namesake of D.C. neighborhood that they lived in. Hmm. They lived in a mansion on what remained of the property, a block surrounded by C Street, Constitution Ave, 17th Street, and 18th Street. Um, According to legend, Marcia refused to demolish the little white house in which she had grown up and stood on the property, a testament to her father's obstinance until the late 1890s. <laughs> of so, all the characteristics he had, that was what she wanted it to be a testament that's to. What, that's <laughs> right. Named because that white house is actually <clears throat> named after the white house that Mr. Byrne owns, Mr. Burns owned on the property. There's actually a pretty neat picture of the house with the Washington Monument behind it. Really? It's, wow. it, it's pretty, it was, it's, it's really a great article. I wanted to read the whole thing, but again, it's longer than the history portion I have. It is but, a really great article, yeah. But definitely um, look up The Obstinate Mr. Burns and the First White House. Um, the article again is by Catherine Brote on boundarystones.weta.org. It's, it's really a great article. It is. Yeah. Archie was like, Hey, I found this link and it really is a, a, a wonderful article. And for those of you who are curious, no, Mr. Burns on the Simpsons is not named after this gentleman. Cause I was wondering, <laughs> cause it sounds like the same guy. Like he's kind of yeah, a penny pincher and kind of mm -hmm. a douchebag. Um, no, that was actually that Mr. Burns was modeled after, I guess, one of Matt Groening's uh, school teachers. I just looked it up. So. Uh, yeah. And ah. Mr. Burns was a, bigoted scotsman so no oh. that's always fun <laughs> this family just sounds more and more fun right <laughs> <laughs> it can't get worse and then archie's like oh but wait it can listen to this <laughs> okay all right so all right. basically it's this dude's land that george washington procured in whatever way finagled haggled whatever and oh, that's yeah. They, they pretty much fought bitterly over it, which is funny because most of the area surrounding Washington, D.C. and in it is all swampland, marshes, mm -hmm. and just like completely worthless. That's fascinating. But Mr. Burns fought tooth and nail. He knew that a government collecting taxes could pay a pretty penny, and he held out for it. <laughs> so shrewd businessman. Okay. Yeah. But this yeah. is the end. So this is the land that the actual, the White House we know today is built on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Most uh, of Washington is. That's interesting that they would pick such a such a a locale. Like that's just marshy swampland that to build the capital of the nation on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean it says a lot right now, but <laughs> well <Yeah. clears throat> you have to take into consideration too, like New York was a lot like that. Oh yeah, that's true. And they, you know, you just want the shipping a lot of times. And so, yeah, the access, the yeah, access so. to ports and waterways and whatnot. Well, you yeah. know what? Buckingham Palace in London is also built on land very similar 
Um, in fact, there's still the like the creek in the river that like ran through that that land. It still runs barely, but is still underneath Buckingham Palace. So, hmm. oh wow. Yeah, I guess maybe these, you know, developers just have a better eye than I do because I would be like, mm, gross, swamp, marsh, no. Right. <laughs> uh, build it here in the middle of the rock hard desert where there's nothing, <laughs> <laughs> including water. <laughs> right. <clears throat> okay, so okay. let's get into the history then. Sorry about All that right. tangent. So, um, what the information I got, I took from history.com. Because um, the official White House history webpage was lacking in information, and Wikipedia had far too much. <laughs> so, so I got mine from history.com. It's pretty succinct and to the point. Cool. Um, <clears throat> the official home for the U.S. president was designed by Irish-born architect James Hoban in the 1790s. Rebuilt after a British attack in 1814, the, quote, president's house evolved with the personal touches of its residents and accommodated such technological changes as the installation of electricity. The building underwent major structural changes in the early 1900s under Teddy Roosevelt, who also officially established the, quote, White House moniker, and again under Harry Truman after World War II. Counting the Oval Office and the Rose Garden among its famous features, it remains the only private residence of a head of state open, free of charge to the public. Not long after the inauguration of President George Washington in 1789, plans to build an official president's house in a federal district along the Potomac River took shape. A contest to find a builder produced a winning design from Irish-born architect James Hoban, who modeled his building after an Anglo-Irish villa in Dublin called the Lannister House. Uh, wait, Ms. Ms. World Traveler, is that how, properly how you say that? Irish word? Um, I don't know. I'm failing my ancestors right now. <laughs> <laughs> Irish is, if you look at the written Irish, it's just like a bunch of continents. Con Oh my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> She's one of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I'm not even going to try again. It's a bunch of random letters. <laughs> like somebody just threw them up. <laughs> Consonants. Like, that's a word. <laughs> what she said, yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, Aaron, look that up. It's L-E-I-N-S-T-E-R. I mean, Aaron, baby girl's got her, her word cut out for her today. I'm going <laughs> to just be honest. <laughs> so it's probably Leinster. <sighs> Instead of the extra I that I put in there for Leinster. Possibly. <laughs> like, I actually, I also have this word in my notes, and so I'm trying to find it. Um I don't know. We're Americans and we're so sorry to everybody in Ireland. Please don't leave us. <laughs> They're one of our top five countries of listeners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll just continue. Then. Yeah, just plow ahead. Fuck it. <laughs> the, cornerstone, <laughs> the cornerstone was laid on October 13th, 1792. And over the next eight years, a construction team comprised of both enslaved and freed African-Americans and European immigrants built the Aquia Creek sandstone structure. 
It was coated with lime-based whitewash in 1798, producing a color that gave rise to its famous nickname. Built at a cost of $232,372, the two-story house was not quite completed when John Adams and Abigail Adams became the first residents on November 1st, 1800. Thomas Jefferson added his own personal touches upon moving in a few months later, installing two water closets and working with architect Benjamin Latrobe to add bookending terrace pavilions. Latrobe of Latrobe, Pennsylvania? Uh, that's just his last name. Oh, I was like, any relation to the Rolling Rock beer? I, I don't know. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I um, mean, are we surprised my mind went straight to alcohol? No, we're not. <laughs> like, did he bring beer to the White House? What is happening? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Having transformed the building into a more suitable representation of a leader's home, Jefferson held the first inaugural open house in 1805 and opened its doors for public tours and receptions on New Year's Day and the 4th of July. Although burned to the ground by the British in August 1814. Thanks for that, guys. (laughs) The president's house was nearly left in smoldering remains as lawmakers contemplated moving the capital to another city. Instead, Hoban was brought back to rebuild it nearly from scratch in some areas incorporating the original charred walls. How pissed was that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if he's getting paid twice, not that pissed. (laughs) Upon reassuming residency in 1817, James Madison and his wife Dolly gave the home a more regal touch by decorating with extravagant French furniture. Oh, The building's south and north porticos were added in 1824 and 1829, respectively, while John Quincy Adams established the residence's first flower garden. Subsequent administrations continued to overhaul and bolster the interior through congressional appropriations. The Fillmores added a library in the second floor oval room, while the Arthurs hired famed decorator Louis Tiffany to redecorate the east blue red and state dining rooms is that like the tiffany guy yeah oh my okay william taft hired architect nathan wyeth to expand the executive wing in 1909 resulting in the formation of the oval office as the president's workspace in 1913 the white house added another enduring feature with ellen wilson's rose garden Architect Eric Googler more than doubled the space of what was becoming known as the, quote, West Wing, added a swimming pool in the West Terrace for the polio-stricken president, and moved the Oval Office to the southeast corner. A new East Wing was constructed in 1942, its cloakroom transformed into a movie theater. A final major overhaul took place after Harry Truman entered office in 1945, with structural problems mounting from the 1902 installation of floor-bearing steel beams. Most of the building's interior was stripped bare as new concrete foundation went in place. Wow, that that was no small thing to do. No, not at all. New foundation? Jeez. Mm -hmm. They had to build all those tunnels underneath, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Trumans helped redesign most of the staterooms and decorate the second and third floors, and the president proudly displayed the results during a televised tour of the completed house in 1952. Oh, cool. 
Over the course of 1969 to 70, a port cochere and circular drive were added. Port cochere. Port cochere. Whatever. Oh, yeah, it's the only <laughs> word I know because a lot of hotels have them. Like you're all French all of a sudden. <laughs> it's literally the only French it's word like, I know. Pardon moi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's the only word I know. <laughs> Porte cachet. <laughs> He's not finding it funny. Go on. <laughs> and a circular drive were added to the exterior of the West Wing with a new press briefing room installed inside. Following a 1978 study to assess the exterior paint, up to 40 layers were removed in some areas, allowing for repairs of the deteriorated stone. Jesus Christ. So like what those pillars in the front aren't nearly really that thick. It's just all the layers of paint around it. <laughs> well, prior to 1970, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, meanwhile, the Carter administration set about adjusting to a new information age by installing the White House first computer and laser printer. The internet made its debut in the mansion under the watch of George H.W. Bush in 1992. Oh my. The White House today holds 142 rooms on six floors, the floor space totaling approximately 55,000 square feet. It has hosted long-standing traditions, such as the annual Easter egg roll, as well as historic events like the 1987 nuclear arms treaty with Russia. Again, the only private residence of a head of state open free of charge to the public, the White House reflects a nation's history through the accumulated collections of its residing presidents and serves as a worldwide symbol of the American Republic. Archie, that was so fabulous. Thank you, district.com. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, really great. I love it. Um, have either one of you been to the White House? Have you ever like been to DC or gone on a tour of, of it? From me, that is a no, no, and no. No, and I've wanted to go. Um, I just haven't wanted to go in like the past four years. So I'll probably go maybe <laughs> next year. I'd like to take Zane. Well, in truth, I wanted to wait till he was old enough to remember. So yeah, and kind of appreciate it a little more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, plus the museums there. I mean, not just the White House and you know oh, the like monuments the and buildings. Yeah. The Smithsonian, you could spend just, I mean, at least I could just spend just a week. A weekend, yes. a week. yeah. Like, oh yeah. And that's just one museum, you know. There's so much to see and do. You really have to. If you really want to have a good experience, I think it's like, it's going to be a week trip. Absolutely. Yeah. We, um, Josh and I have been, have wanted to take Koi for the longest time, but like, like you, Laura, we wanted to wait until Koi was old enough to like appreciate it and like even have knowledge that he's learned in school about some of these buildings and, and things like that. Um, I went to DC when we actually visited my family in Raleigh because it's only about a three and a half hour drive from Raleigh. Oh, I didn't realize it was that close. Yeah, it's super close. So when we went to visit my family in Raleigh when I was about 10, we went to DC and we went to the Lincoln Memorial and we went to the Smithsonian because I had to see Judy Garland's ruby red slippers. And <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The National Air and Space Museum. And we did, we didn't, go on a tour of the White House, we did drive by it. And it's just, there's something 
like Buckingham Palace and like, you know, Versailles and all of these other places where heads of state and kings and queens, there's just something really um, awesome about seeing these buildings that that you always hear about and that is are just like like Archie said that the symbol of the American Republic it was it it was really really fascinating um but like I said I was 10 so when we go back once we get to Raleigh like that's our first road trip that we've planned is a road trip to DC um obviously we want to wait until we get settled in the house and like COVID calms the fuck down but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, it's exciting and, and it's going to be like, you know, visiting it for the first time and seeing that entire city for the first time since I was so young. Well, I've, I've even found different places I've gone. If it's been like 10 years or something since I've been there, it's like a completely different experience. Mm, yeah. You know, um, and it doesn't matter how many times you've seen something yeah. on TV. When you, when you actually go there, to me, it's always different to yes. actually be in that place and really be able to take it in the scale the grandeur, the stuff that you just don't get from the TV, you know, right. the depth and all of that. Like, I always find it so much cooler to be there in person. It is. It really is because you're in that space and you're like, uh, all of these amazing and important historical events have happened here in this space. I remember when we were in London and Koi and I were walking through the nave of Westminster Abbey and thinking, kings and queens were coronated and walked down this very same spot and weddings. And it was just, it's really quite um, overwhelming when you are in the very space where you know all of these amazing historical events took place in. Um, I completely agree. You know, yeah. going to the Vatican, places like that. You know, yes. You go to the Sistine Chapel, you're like, um, yeah, Michael Angelo hung out here for a while. Like, that's, it's just great. Like, <laughs> yes. it's crazy just to think about, like, the history and how much influence and... Um, Came they, from all that, yeah. Right, like, the Pope's dictated so much of the world for a while. Mm-hmm. You know? For a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the palaces and all of that. Yeah, it just blows your mind when you're actually there. You're like, wow. Yeah. I mean, even though America is still like a fairly young country compared to like Rome and England and, you know, um, France, it's still Washington, D.C. is still one of these like you can almost like feel the vibration of like the power in the city just simply because it's Washington, D.C. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, we're going to take a quick, quick break and, um, we will be right back and we're going to get into the woof, plethora of ghosts <laughs> this <laughs> mansion has. So we will be right back. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So welcome back guys. Are you ready to hear about some ghosts of the white house? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I got my information from a lot of places. Um, The hauntings are all pretty much the same, like on every place that you look, but some some kind of expanded more than others. So I've got a lot of sources. AmericanHauntingsInc.com, WashingtonPost.com, History.com, VOANews.com, WeAreTheMighty.com, OurWhiteHouse.org, TravelChannel.com, BestLifeOnline.com, and Bob 
vila.com, not to be confused with the actual Bob via the handyman guy. I was like, did he do this old house in the White House? (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) I just got so excited, right? (laughs) Sorry, Bob Vila, one L, not two. (laughs) (laughs) V-I-L-A. Well, that's kind of a letdown now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... All right, welcome to this old house. Why not? Right. <laughs> Why Mafia, get on that. <laughs> really missed a golden opportunity. Uh, sorry to tell you, Bobby Love. Um, all right, hang on. <laughs> I saw Laura's eyes light up, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta shut this down before it, <laughs> before it takes off. <laughs> it's true. That happened. I got really excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to track down this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I saw the corner of my eye. She was like, <gasps> no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm here to bring the sadness and disappointment. That's right. my part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So You're I'm going to start my, job. thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start my part out with this. On a lonely night in 1946, President Harry S. Truman went to bed at 9 p.m. About six hours later, he heard it. Knock, knock, knock. The sound against his bedroom door awakened him. He wrote to his wife in a letter that is archived in his presidential library and museum. In part, it read, quote, I jumped up and put on my bathrobe, opened the door, and no one there. He, and no one there. He said, I went out and looked up and down the hall, looked in your room and Margie's, which is their daughter, still no one. Went back to bed after locking the doors and there were footsteps in your room whose door I'd left open. I jumped up and looked and no one there. The damn place is haunted, sure is shooting. (laughs) Secret Service said not even a watchman was up here at that hour. You and Margie had better come back and protect me before some of these ghosts carry me off. Oh, <laughs> so he's there's no wife and children first kind of thing. <laughs> Need to protect him. <laughs> no. So in some of my later research, I found that his wife and his wife actually didn't like living in the White House. So she her and the daughter primarily stayed at their other home in, uh, I think, Maryland somewhere. Um, so they that's why they wrote a lot of letters to each other, because she didn't really like living in the White House. So. Jared Broach is the founder of the company Nightly Spirits, and they do haunted tours all over D.C., but the White House is their main. When he first started the company, the White House was the only place that he had done tours of. Um, So he had said, quote, the White House has the best ghost stories, and I'd call them the most verified. Honestly, we could do a 10-hour tour if we really wanted to. So he went on to say that one of his favorite stories is about David Burns, who sold the land where the White House sits and whose voice has reportedly been heard in the Oval Office. But we're going to get more on him later. <laughs> Fuck Washington. <laughs> <laughs> like the most bitter, <laughs> the most bitter ghost in the entire country. <laughs> um, so when he was asked if he believes in ghosts. It, this gentleman said, for sure. And then um, he pointed to more prestigious authorities and their claims. He says, if I said no, I'd be calling about eight different presidents liars. (laughs) (laughs) So one of those presidents uh, would be Abraham Lincoln. 
Uh, he reportedly received regular visits from his son, Willie, who had died in the White House in 1862 at the age of 11 of what was probably typhoid fever. His wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, who was so grief-stricken by the loss that she remained in her room for weeks, spoke of seeing her son's ghost once at the foot of her bed. There are also reports of her hearing Thomas Jefferson playing the violin and Andrew Jackson swearing. So the country's seventh president, Andrew Jackson, actually answered to the, to the nickname of Old Hickory. And apparently he did a lot of swearing because the family's parrot had to be taken away when it started spewing obscenities during his funeral <laughs> service. <laughs> He sounds like my kind of guy. That's what I said. I wrote, I wrote in my little notes in like italics. I was like, feeling this one, LMAO. <laughs> oh, God. I can only imagine. Right? Being able to be in such a place like that and be able to hear all these famous. Yes. <laughs> historical figures. Oh, yeah. Wearing like sailor. <laughs> Could you imagine? And like, think about it. So in, in. Mary Todd Lincoln, like back then, like, you know, men didn't really behave that way around women because it was indecent and it wasn't respectful and it wasn't. So for her to hear like Andrew Jackson <laughs> swearing, like that had to be, I, I can I, fly on the wall is all I want is I just wish I was just when she had heard that. So Andrew Jackson is also supposedly lying in his bed in the queen's bedroom, which is also known as the Rose Room. And people have often heard him let out a guttural laugh. Um, since they, this laugh of his has been heard in the White House since the 1860s. Oh, wow. So these hauntings go back far, 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 far. Um, apparently after Truman wrote his wife about the knocks on his door, the president's daughter, Margaret Truman um, wrote him back. And <laughs> in a 1986 biography of her mother, Margaret Truman said that she and her mom were skeptical of the existence of ghosts, presidential or otherwise. And she wrote her father saying so. In his reply, he said, quote, I'm sure they're here and I'm not so much alarmed at meeting up with any of them. I'm sure, I'm sure old Andrew Jackson could give me good advice and probably teach me good swear words. <laughs> and I'm sure that old Grover Cleveland could tell me some choice remarks to make about some political leaders. So I won't lock my doors or bar them at, or, or bar them either. If any of the old coots in the pictures out in the hall want to come out of their frames for a friendly chat. Oh man. Oh, that's cool. That sounds like he's got the best attitude and sense of humor about it. Yeah, and I guess he was really known for believing in ghosts and spirits and pretty vocal about his experiences in the White House. He didn't give a damn what anyone thought of him, president or not. So I was like, all right, good on you, Truman. All right. Mm -hmm. So apparently, first lady to the second president of the United States, John Adams. Um, Abigail Adams was also one of the White House's first residents. According to history.com, she spent a lot of time in the East Room because it was the warmest in the mansion. Um, people have reported seeing her in a cap and shawl, her arms positioned as if carrying the laundry away and even hanging laundry in the East Room. Um, President Taft apparently was startled once to see her ghost float through a door on the second floor of the White House and members of his staff claimed to smell her favorite lavender scented laundry soap. Mrs. Adams is the oldest spirit to haunt the premises. Her husband, John, served as president from 1797 to 1801. 
So her and David Burns are the two oldest spirits in the White House. Nice. But also, that's kind of fucked that she's still doing laundry in her afterlife. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be really pissed. A woman's work is never done. Is that the thing? I guess that's what the the moral of that story is. Um. Another one of the stories um, that is more of a residual haunt than an intelligent haunt, which also is what Abigail Adams seems to be, mm-hmm. um, is those about a woman named Annie Surratt, S-U-R-R-A-T-T, Surratt, Surratt? I'm going Aaron, to Surratt. Aaron, look that up. I like Aaron lo- All right. Aaron, look that up. Laura votes for Surratt. Um, So some have sworn that her ghost knocks on the front doors of the White House, pleading for the release of her mother, Mary Surratt, who this woman was actually convicted of playing a role in Lincoln's assassination and later hanged with like three men that were found to be involved in the plot to assassinate Lincoln. So apparently this daughter, Anna, her weeping swells throughout the White House's entrance hall, even with the doors shut. Apparently on July 7th each year, which is the anniversary of her mother's execution, Anna's ghost paces back and forth on the front steps, supposedly awaiting the arrival of President Johnson. Now President Andrew Johnson became president after Lincoln's assassination. And it was he who she begged for a pardon for her mother. Mm. So um, let's see. This, This one I, I don't like because of what this ghost has come to be called. But one little known spirit is the unidentified um, 15 year old boy called The Thing that greatly frightened the Taft domestic staff in 1911. According to one of President Taft's military aides, he had written to his sister that quote, the ghost it seems is a young boy about 14 or 15 years old. They say that the first knowledge one has of his presence of the thing is a slight pressure on the shoulder as if someone were leaning over your shoulder to see what you might be doing. Apparently President Taft ordered this um, military aide to tell the entire White House staff that the first member to repeat stories about the thing would be fired. Wow. Yeah. So he wasn't as chill as Truman. Yeah. Um, Now there's a woman who was a seamstress. Her name was Lillian Rogers Parks. And she was a seamstress in the White House for 30 years. She wrote a memoir of her time in the White House in 1961. And she told the story of a valet to President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who reportedly heard a disembodied voice coming from a distance in the yellow oval room saying, I'm Mr. Burns. During during Harry Truman's administration, a guard heard a similar voice often. One day specifically, this guard thought it was then Secretary of State James Burns, and he went looking for him, only to learn that the secretary hadn't been at the White House that day. But apparently it's common to hear somebody around you, behind you, in your ear say, I'm Mr. Burns. Creepy. Super creepy. Like he still wants recognition that it's his land. I'm guessing. He can't let <laughs> he can't let the shit go. Okay. This is my longest part. And it's all about the most famous, most commonly seen and experienced and reported ghost in the White House, Abraham Lincoln. Yep. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So 
Abraham Lincoln, I, I think we can all agree that there's no doubt that few presidents left the sort of mark on the White House and American history as Abraham Lincoln did. Um, the article that I read said his impact on the history of America has been immeasurable. And in 1864, when he sought reelection, he did so with the idea that his plans were unfinished. When he was assassinated, his plans for reconciliation between the North and the South were interrupted and his work was left incomplete. In fact, some would say that it remains incomplete even today, and I'm one of those people. Um, <laughs> perhaps this is why his spirit is so often reported at the White House. So one of the earliest reliable reports from someone who actually saw Lincoln's apparition came from President Theodore Roosevelt, who took up residence in the house nearly 40 years after Lincoln's death. He had said, quote, I see him in different rooms and in the halls. Um, in truth, it actually comes as no surprise that Roosevelt may have attracted the ethereal presence of Lincoln, because apparently Theodore Roosevelt greatly admired the former leader and quoted his speeches and writings often. So the gentleman that I talked about in the beginning, the tour guide that does tours of DC and nightly spirits tours, um, he said, and I read this in a lot of different articles, um, that apparently Lincoln always comes back whenever he feels the country is in need or in peril. They say he just strides up and down the second floor hallways, raps on doors and stands by windows. And that is a majority of the, um, the, the claims that people have had that have seen him. So again, this Lillian Rogers Parks, the seamstress, um, she once investigated the sound of someone pacing an upper level of the White House. Another staff member told her the room in question had been unoccupied and that it was just old Abe pacing the floor. It's apparently a very common sound in the White House is just to hear like random footsteps and walking up and down the halls when no one is there, no secret service, no watchman, no nothing. It's an old place, like, yeah, you right. know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then during the terms of President Calvin, Calvin Coolidge, see, I can't say C words either, consonants, Calvin Coolidge, whatever. <laughs> There's one C word I can always manage to get out. <laughs> <laughs> She's really pissed that word just flies out of her mouth. <laughs> I'm so surprised, <laughs> like butter. <laughs> So during the terms of President Calvin Coolidge, hey, I did it. His wife, <laughs> his wife, Grace, actually encountered Lincoln. She stated that he was dressed in black with a stole draped over his shoulders to ward off the drafts and chills of Washington's night air. She explained that one day she passed by the yellow oval room. Did you guys know there was more than one oval room in this place? Because I didn't. No, when he was doing, when Archie was doing the history too, I was like, we they moved to a different oval room. I'm like, how many... Oval rooms are there. <laughs> there's, there's a couple. There's a couple oval rooms, and then there's the Oval Office. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm, all right. Well, weird. Um, so she was startled to see that. Startled. To, wow. <laughs> she was startled to see Lincoln staring out the window in the direction of the Potomac, his hands behind his back, which I feel like. He's always portrayed that way in movies and stuff because that was just kind of how he stood when he was like thinking or pondering or like whatever, just kind of stand there with his hands behind his back. 
Um, apparently Lincoln turned and looked momentarily in her direction and then vanished. During his tenure in the White House, the room had actually been Lincoln's library, and he often stood at the same window, looking out his thoughts filled with the course of the war. So at that same window, Lincoln's spirit has also been seen and felt by others, including the poet and Lincoln biographer Carl Sandburg. He also stated that he felt Lincoln's presence close to him in the yellow oval room. Apparently, Lady Bird Johnson, who is the wife of President Lyndon Johnson, reportedly felt Lincoln's presence one night while watching a television program about his death. Um, people often have said that they just have, can feel his presence. So not necessarily see him or hear him or anything like that, but they just it's just one of those situations where you just kind of like, you know he's there. So... <laughs> President Herbert Hoover also admitted to hearing mysterious sounds in the White House. Although he actually never acknowledged it was Lincoln's ghost, Hoover left no doubt that he had heard something in the darkened corridors that he could not explain. Which, okay, I'll, I'll, survey says I'll take it. So apparently by the time that Franklin Delano Roosevelt began his long series of terms as president, Lincoln had been dead for about 70 years. So his ghost remained unwilling or unable to leave the White House. During Roosevelt's administration, Lincoln was at his most active, perhaps because of the concerns about the perilous state of the nation, because FDR was president during the time of the Great Depression and World War II. So most people seem to be in general consensus that Lincoln is only really seen when the nation is in need or in some sort of peril. So... um, Hmm. He's probably, there, he's probably there 24-7 lately. Um, <laughs> can I rest in peace for the love of God? <laughs> um, so FDR's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, told reporters that she had never seen Lincoln, but she did admit that she had felt his presence late at night when she used the Lincoln bedroom as a study. And in fact, Lincoln actually um, used that room as an office. He never actually slept there. But one fun fact about that room, the Lincoln bedroom, is that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation there on January 1st, 1863. Oh, that's that's really cool. So Eleanor Roosevelt says she often sensed him standing behind her, peering over her shoulder. She also admitted that sometimes she would hear his she would hear his footsteps in the second floor hallways, which, again, is another one of these. This is like what the third or fourth person I've talked about that has heard his footsteps in those hallways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Mrs. Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt also told of an incident that occurred when one of her staff members, um, a woman by the name of Mary Eben, her, was her secretary. And apparently the secretary had passed the Lincoln bedroom one day and noticed a tall, thin man who was sitting on the edge of the bed pulling on a pair of boots. She then realized that the figure was Abraham Lincoln. Um, since the dead president the president had been dead for about 75 years at the time. She was understandably frightened and ran screaming back to her office. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know as that would be my first thought. I feel like, but I don't, I would be like, is this a reenactor? Is this, I think that would, my my brain would immediately go to something logical, but maybe they didn't have such a thing like reenactors or like, why would there be a reenactor? Right. Back then, like, I, I don't I don't know. Um, I really don't think my brain would immediately be like, ghost. I suppose it does, 
like how they look like was he kind of transparent you know what I mean like obviously right. have a look it, like if it looked like a solid person I agree with you I would probably be like intruder weirdo what is happening <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but if, if you could see like the bedpost through him right you would be like ghost <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently this woman became just one of the many people who saw Lincoln's ghost during Roosevelt's time in the White House. Um, so uh, that also included one of the president's valets who had actually run out of the mansion, shrieking in fear that he had just seen Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> In addition to the residents and the staff of the White House, a number of visitors have actually also encountered Lincoln. And one of them is my very, very favorite. And I was telling my mom about it. And this one is also her very, very favorite. But um, (laughs) the late British Prime Minister Winston Churchill never actually um, liked to discuss Lincoln's ghost after the first time he had told his experience. But... um, (laughs) He apparently one night um, had just stepped out of a hot bath in the Lincoln bedroom and was wearing nothing but a cigar when he encountered Lincoln by the fireplace. Uh, Apparently Churchill had said to him, good evening, Mr. President, and uh, said, you seem to have me at a disadvantage, after which Lincoln chuckled and faded away. (laughs) That's great. I love it. Um, but after that, um, <laughs> Churchill <laughs> would later confess that he never felt comfortable in that particular room and, um, would request whenever he was there, he would request that he stayed in a different room. So it's one of my very favorite ones <laughs> when it's Winston Churchill, like that guy was known as like the bulldog. He was a very no nonsense, like carried Britain through the war. He was very, you know, not, you know, known for flights of fancy or anything like that. So I was like, that's kind of an impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. That's kind of mm-hmm. impressive. Um, another person that uh, had visited the White House was Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands. She spent the night in the White House during the war years while in exile from the Nazis. She said that she was sleeping in the Rose Room when she heard an insistent tapping on the door. Uh, apparently it was quite late at night and she assumed the summons must be important. So she quickly opened the door there standing in the doorway was Abraham Lincoln. Now, according to a white house staff member, the, <laughs> the queen surprised president Franklin D Roosevelt and a number of cocktail party guests the next evening when she next evening, when she was recalling her encounter with them, she told them that after seeing the apparition, she, Everything went black because she had fainted and she later woke up on the floor. By this time, the ghost had vanished. <laughs> uh, First Lady Grace Coolidge had spoken in a magazine um, of different accounts of seeing him looking out a window in what had once been his office. And then um, apparently Dr- Dwight, Dwight, no, Dwight D. Eisenhower <laughs> made no effort to deny the experiences that he had with Lincoln's ghost. He told his press secretary, James Haggerty, that he frequently sensed Lincoln's ghost in the White House. One day he said that he was walking down a hallway and the ghost of Abraham Lincoln approached him from the opposite direction. Eisenhower said that he took the encounter in stride after the horrors of war. The specter of Lincoln was probably a welcome sight. Um, surprisingly, Haggerty told of the president's ghostly experience on network television. And despite, it was apparently despite the long held White House position on a strict no ghost policy. 
So um, Jackie Kennedy, who occupied the White House with her family and husband, John F. Kennedy, exactly 100 years after the Lincolns lived there, admitted that she sensed Lincoln's presence in the mansion. Um, There is no record of President Kennedy encountering the ghost, but Jackie told reporters in 1961 that she found the White House to be cold and drab and disliked much of the furnishings. With this in mind, she undertook a major renovation. So apparently when she had completed the widely publicized refurbishment, uh, the White House was freshly painted and redecorated. And this is when Lincoln's ghost began to stir again, which is a common thing as well. If you do any sort of renovation or construction in a location, mm-hmm. it generally tends to kick up the paranormal activity. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was, this article said that likely he was unsettled by the massive alterations in the house Um And it was during the restoration that Jackie Kennedy began to encounter his ghost. Apparently, while he occupied the White House, Lincoln actually paid little attention to the furnishings and was once very angry with his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, when she spent too much money decorating, quote, this damned old house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to say him and Babia would not be friends. Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. So apparently, despite official denials, members of the first families continued to encounter Lincoln Specter. When Gerald Ford was in office, his daughter Susan publicly acknowledged her belief in ghosts and made it clear that she would never sleep in the Lincoln bedroom or that room, as she called it. According to one account, Susan actually witnessed Lincoln's spirit. Now, fun fact about Gerald Ford, and you guys might have known this, but maybe some of our listeners didn't, Gerald Ford was actually, I think there were two presidents that were not actually elected to the office and Gerald Ford was one of them. So he was the Speaker of the House and um, during the the Nixon administration. So Spiro Agnew was the vice president that resigned because he was doing shady shit. And then of course we all know Nixon resigned because he was doing shady shit. So Gerald Ford, that's how he became president. And he wasn't ever actually elected to the office. So I think there were only two of them. And I don't remember the second guy, but he was like earlier, earlier on. There's a ton of presidents that like nobody remembers. Like their administrations are sort of unremarkable or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. In my research, I came across one guy and I was like, I don't remember this guy. Didn't really, you know. You know, all the big, the first ones, John Adams, George Washington, you know, but yeah. So the second guy was also one of these forgettable presidents. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would hope for an unremarkable presidency. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> I'll be so happy if I don't have this, like, say the president's name every day. Right. Or, oh, what now? Right. Yes. If I can just not think about it for like just a day, that'd be fantastic. Right. Seriously. Um, (laughs) So apparently the late President Ronald Reagan even mentioned Lincoln's ghost at a 1987 press conference. He told reporters who were gathered that he was never frightened by the spirit. I haven't seen him myself, Reagan said, but every once in a while, our little dog Rex will start down that long hall just glaring as though he's seeing something. He also added that the dog would bark repeatedly as he stopped in front of the Lincoln bedroom. Uh, 
Reagan said that if he opened the door to the bedroom and tried to get the dog to go inside, Rex would growl fiercely but refuse to step over the threshold. <laughs> and it's a it's kind of common knowledge that animals generally can see that kind of stuff far more frequently than humans can. Um, Jennifer's dog, Ellie, and her cat, Eddie, both of them, always, like, there's one spot in the foyer that they would always stare at and also above the fireplace. And as all of our listeners know, Jen's house is haunted. And, um, yeah, every now and then, like, we'll, if we notice Eddie staring at that one spot in the foyer, we're like, no, the little girl is standing there. Or the little girl is... <laughs> A ghost is over there or something. Yeah. So animals always have um, been attributed to be able, being able to see paranormal activity, if a human, even if a human cannot. So they're really great dowsing rods, just so you know. Um, <laughs> uh, now, Maureen Reagan, Reagan's daughter, apparently she had actually bumped into Lincoln's spirit, waking one morning in the Lincoln bedroom. Um, in the words of her father, President Reagan, to a, she woke to a figure standing at the window and looking out, and she could actually see the trees right through his body. Um, and again, it turned and disappeared when she it realized she had seen it. So there aren't actually any too many reports of Lincoln um, during the Bush administration. So George H.W. Bush's administration, um, the president and Mrs. Bush denied seeing Lincoln or any other ghosts in the White House. However, during the Clinton years, there were at least two sightings of Lincoln's apparition. One encounter was admitted by President Clinton's brother, Roger, who had stated that he had sensed Lincoln's presence in the White House. In the second instance, a Clinton aide admitted that he had seen Lincoln walking down a hallway but the story, which was briefly reported in the news, was quickly denied and dismissed by the White House as a joke. So um, apparently during the George W. Bush administration, his daughter, Jenna Bush Hager, so Bush was president from 2001 to 2009. So his daughters, um, Jenna and her twin sister, Barbara, they once heard 1920s piano music coming from the fireplace in their bedroom. Uh, Jenna said, quote, I was asleep. There was a fireplace in my room. And all of a sudden I heard 1920s music coming out. I could feel it. I freaked out and ran into my sister's room. So her sister, Barbara, believed the story to be a bunch of bullshit. And <laughs> so that Jenna dared Barbara, apparently, to sleep in her room the following night. And both of them heard this ear splitting opera blaring from the exact same fireplace. Um, apparently neither one of them got any sleep that night. And at first light. <laughs> White House workers, um, when they told them, White House workers spilled the beans to the girls that um, stating that, yeah, they, they actually heard that kind of stuff all the time coming from those rooms. That's cool. <laughs> and I love that that happened to them. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be <clears throat> terrifying. But I also feel like it's easily... It, I, I feel like it would be easily explainable depending on like, you know, if the flu was open, if the music was coming in from another room, like when I read that, I was like, okay, well, what else could that be? Right. And if there's music coming from like um, another room that shares the same, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that would be ventilation or yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently there was a man named Jeremiah Smith and he worked in the white house for 30 years, starting with the grant administration. Um, and by grant, I mean Ulysses S. 
<laughs> he started as a footman and then he served apparently a bunch of different roles in the White House. And he claimed to have seen a ton of ghosts, including the ghosts of Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, William McKinley, also several first ladies. Um, so, I mean, he was very vocal about all of this. It, def it definitely helped spread a lot of those late 19th century ghost stories when he was like, oh, hey, I saw this one. And oh, hey, I saw that one. And um, so that's what I have for Lincoln. Now, Willie Lincoln was their young son that I had mentioned earlier that had died probably from typhoid fever. Um, he actually did die in the White House. And he has often been seen, or he was often seen by staff members of the Grant administration in the 1870s. Apparently, Linda Johnson Robb, who was the president of President Lyndon Johnson, she met and even spoke to the spirit of this Willie Lincoln. Um, he was about 10 or, or 11 or 12 years old, she said. Um, apparently, he would visit Linda in the very room in which he died on a regular basis. Um, his spirit, like that of his father, seems to, quote, flit and fly all around the house, dropping in on several White House staff members over the years, um, including a very terrified maid during the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so um, another other folks that haunt the White House is Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson apparently plays his violin in the yellow oval room. That's lovely. I think that's nice. Yeah. Um, Dolly Madison. Now, this is one of the, the tales that I have most often heard. And I recently thought about it um, when Melania Trump revamped the Rose, the famous Rose Garden. So Dolly Madison was the one that um, was responsible for the Rose Garden, planting the Rose Garden and making it, you know, <clears throat> what it is. Mm -hmm. um, her ghost can be found in the White House Rose Garden, the garden that she planted. It's said that she does protect the area. Apparently, when First Lady Ellen Louise Wilson, I guess Woodrow Wilson's wife, ordered the area dug up, workmen reported that Dolly Madison's ghost appeared to chase them away. And over the years, others have smelled unseen ro roses in the White House rooms. So she's most often um, found, she's most often found when people try to do cha make changes to the Rose Garden is mm. when shit starts getting kind of, mm. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure she's in fits right now. Right? I was like, so when I saw that news article about Melania Trump and like her changing the Rose Garden, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> no. I, do I only hope that she's <laughs> being visited. <laughs> right? Um. So now John Tyler is also another um, former president that haunts uh, the White House. He actually, this is quite lovely. He haunts the Blue Room. It's a residual haunt because he's been often seen proposing to Julia Gardner, who was his second wife. Oh, I know. I thought that was pretty cute. So now William Henry Harrison, he haunts the attic. I don't know why. <laughs> it's the only spot left. <laughs> right. The rest is full. There's ghosts. Sorry, there's. We're already here. We're haunting this. One. Could go to the. Kind of seems like that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so apparently, Harrison was actually the first U.S. president to die in office. He actually succumbed to pneumonia after serving just one month. Now he is said to haunt the White House attic, where he's heard rummaging around. Nobody knows what he's looking for, and his ghost either refused to leave or just can't. So. That's that's a terrible legacy. Finally yeah. make it to president, 
die after one month <laughs> stuck in the attic forever. <laughs> right. Well, at least Abigail gets to do laundry. I mean, yeah, at least she's not stuck in the attic. Um, legend says that Harrison was cursed after army troops under his command. Uh, I'm so sorry to my ancestors. Killed Tecumseh, Tecumseh, T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H, a Shawnee leader in the War of 1812. Tecumseh? Mm-hmm. Tecumseh? Tecum- uh, Tecumseh. Mm-hmm. So uh, legend says Harrison was cursed after army troops under his command killed a Shawnee leader in the War of 1812. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, it's also haunted by an unnamed British soldier. Uh, who apparently perished during the War of 1812, that gentleman roams the White House grounds holding a torch. So that's got to be kind of terrifying to see. (laughs) According to the White House Historical Association, not every ghost who haunts the White House is a well-known figure. Presidents have also spotted lesser-known apparitions, like um, what is the one that's being called the white-haired old man, who apparently appeared to Ulysses S. Grant. The same ghost um, also reportedly disturbed President Chester Arthur. This is the guy I was like, Chester Arthur? I didn't know there was... Anybody remember him? Um, no. 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 Um, it kind so, of means he did a good job, though, right? Like, he didn't <laughs> fuck up. Like, <laughs> we all know the ones that fuck up real bad, so... like. Right. I mean, he didn't save the country from anything, but he also didn't fuck the country up. So. Right, so... Right. I give you you a solid B. Right, right. All, you know, right. Round of applause for the quiet wallflower president. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently um, a journalist described what the ghosts look like, according to the president and his staff members. Uh, In an 1883 article, the Washington critic described the ghost who haunted second floor bedrooms as, quote, an aged and bent man with long phosphorescent white beard and hair, ghastly and wavy, bright and glaring eyes, and long scrawny fingers. His walk is noiseless but stately, and his presence is always indicated by a peculiar electric sensation which pervades the surrounding air. And I thought that was one of the most beautiful descriptions of an apparition I have ever read. It's pretty spot on, isn't it? It's pretty pretty neat. Right? Also, Arch, this one's for you. Uh Uh-oh. The demon cat. Oh, God. Uh, This spectral feline is supposedly seen before a a national disaster. The size of it depends on how close the viewer is to the cat. It starts as a little kitten, but grows even more fierce as one gets closer to it. That sounds a lot like Jennifer and Mike's cat, Eddie. Um, apparently it was reportedly seen before the stock market crash of 1929, World War II, and before the Kennedy assassination. So it's, it's, yeah, if you see it, then fucking buckle down because some (laughs) shit's about to, yeah, shit's about to happen. Um, Most recently, in 2009, then First Lady Michelle Obama told visiting school children that she and President Barack Obama sometimes heard strange noises in the hallway at night. And other times, some Obama family members felt like something was gnawing or chewing on their feet. Hmm. Don't love that at all. 
Creepy. Mm-hmm. Massively creepy. And then my last ghost um, uh, claim about the White House is really more of a funny story. So apparently, um, and then after this, I've got some fun facts about the White House. So apparently, Sasha and Malia Obama used the White House ghosts for some funds with their friends. And during a slumber party one night as they ate, um, which I can picture it already, as they ate late night snacks like chocolate covered pretzels and flavor blasted goldfish, which by the way are two of Koi's favorite snacks. Um, Malia started telling her friends about the spooky presidents of the past um, that now roam the halls of the White House as ghosts. And as the girls grew quieter and quieter, they heard a whisper, which was the ghost of George Washington. Apparently he told Malia how great a job her father was doing in office and how proud she should be of him. So she was like, I don't think so. I'm not afraid of this. I'm going to find out where this is coming from. So her and her sister, Sasha, crept to the kitchen from where the whispers were coming from. And when they walked in, all of a sudden there was this crash, clang, kaboom of all the pots falling to the ground. And as they turned on the lights in fright, Sasha discovered the source of both the clanging and the whispering, which happened to be her father, Barack Obama, playing a prank. I read that and was like, because it was at the end, it was like the last story in a list of like all these ghost tales. And I'm like, holy shit. Oh my God. And then I got to the end and I was like, oh my God. It's <laughs> even better though. Like it's such a dad thing to do, you know? Right. Right. Oh, <laughs> the ghost oh. of George Washington saying what a great job her father was doing. <laughs> 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 oh, Your dad's the best. Right. <laughs> It was, oh it was, yeah, it was really amazing. I That's thought it was the greatest thing I've heard all day. Isn't it? Yeah. I had to end the, the haunting portion um, <laughs> with that because I thought it was really fucking, fucking hysterical. Um, so that's what I've got on the White House ghost, you guys. Uh, it was a lot, mostly Abraham Lincoln. I think it's, um, I don't think it's too far out of the realm of possibility. I mean, consider all of the different discussions and things that this nation has gone through that have happened within the walls of this building. And some presidents have died in it. There have been first ladies that have died in it. There's a lot of, um, if you if you subscribe to the idea that emotional trauma can permeate a building, um, certainly this building would be- Yeah, you know, and a lot of emotional energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, I, I thought it was it was truly amazing. I would love to I would love to be able to see it one day. So um, as always, I you know, and I don't get to do it often, but you know, Arch, I love me a good list of fun facts, and <laughs> I had to list a bunch of fun facts about the White House. So, all right, yes. Now, just to kind of recap what you had said in your history part, first and foremost, the White House is a mansion. Uh, the White House residence does span, like Archie said, six floors, includes 142 rooms and 35 bathrooms. So that makes for 412 doors, 28 fireplaces, eight staircases, and three elevators. A recent appraisal um, of the property valued it at just under $400 million, which is... Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I are mean, we getting a mortgage? Why are they appraising the White House? <laughs> right. for that? I don't understand. <laughs> right. Interest rates are good. I'm going to get a refi. <laughs> right. I mean, they're, they're historic lows, guys. 
Um, so apparently, though George Washington was responsible for commissioning the construction of the White House, choosing this site and browbeating David Burns, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he actually never lived there. That honor went to President Number Two John Adams. So George Washington's term ended in 1797, three years before the White House was completed in 1800. And Washington actually died in 1799, meaning he never even set foot in the completed building. He is the only U.S. president to have not lived in the White House, which I thought was really quite interesting. But I have also been to Mount Vernon, where he's buried. And I mean, his like his actual home. Oh, my God. The history back there. I'm so excited to be so close to it and be able to see all of this again. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. So what I found most interesting, and because this episode is coming out on Inauguration Day, um, I found this fun, interesting little tidbit where the article started out, nobody likes moving day, uh, but you can bet that yours is nowhere near as stressful as moving day at the White House. So I took a lot of comfort in this particular part because, <laughs> good God. So apparently, all of this takes place as soon as the sitting president leaves the White House for the president-elect's inauguration ceremony. As we all know, that's a little different this year. But as soon as the sitting president leaves the White House, um, the move starts. So from that moment, staffers and movers have about five to six hours to move out all of the sitting president's belongings and move in the belongings of the president-elect. Not only is the furniture changed and the artwork swapped, but the walls are even repainted too, as per the request of the incoming first family, all in five to six hours. Jesus. Wow. Yes. So um, the delicate and highly choreographed event of packing up and moving out and unpacking and moving in is done by dozens of prepped and trained staff and movers typically occurs in that six hour window when both the exiting and entering presidents and their spouses attend inauguration day ceremonies on Capitol Hill. By the time the new president and first lady return to the White House, all of their stuff will have been moved in and ready to go down to a refrigerator stocked with their favorite foods and the master bathroom equipped with their preferred shampoo. Wow. wow. That is a fucking well-oiled machine right there. <laughs> right? Wow. What, com- what company is that? <laughs> right? Um, and can I hire them for my move? <laughs> like, I wonder how many people that takes. Like, you know, do they just have like, it has to be an army of people. It has to be. You know? It is. Yeah. This program, this government any girl right. has ever put forward. Well, and I think like I have been seeing on different news websites, like the Trump family is already starting to like move little like stuff out. So it's not like, you know, they're coming in here to my fucking disaster house <laughs> and like literally starting from the ground up. So they've slowly been starting to move some stuff out. So I'm sure it's probably a little bit easier, but um What's interesting, especially in this year with COVID, is that before the Bidens move in, the White House will first undergo a COVID-19 cleansing top to bottom from the East Wing to the West Wing. And apparently, according to federal contract data reviewed um, by this news organization, the total for the amplified, amplified White House inauguration deep clean because of COVID hovers right around a half a million dollars. Wow. Oh, I'm sure. Right? It's a lot of Lysol wipes. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you can't find it in stores. 
<laughs> so apparently it does include $127,000 for what one government order refers to as 2021 inaugural cleaning. That's actually separate from a $44,000 order for carpet cleaning and the $115,000 purchase agreement for the 2021 presidential inauguration and transition carpet replacement and installation to correct the current floor condition of selected interior floors for various offices. Basically, all new carpet within the East Wing, West Wing, and Executive Office buildings. Wow. I know. Um, in traditional administration, swaps the bulk of the cleaning while thorough is done predominantly by White House staff, housekeepers, butlers, and ushers, and upkeep such as electrical fixes and small maintenance job is complete, jobs are completed by White House workers, of which there are typically 90 to 100 in roles that range from pastry cooks to florists to plumbers. It's, wow. ins it's absolutely insane. So I just thought it was really interesting that all of this shit takes place in the entire time that the inauguration is going on. I thought it was amazing. One of the perks of being president is living rent-free in a $400 million mansion. Uh, but that actually um, hardly makes up for the expenses that come with moving into the White House. So despite making a six-figure salary, the president is actually responsible, responsible for paying for all meals at the White House and elsewhere, all events, including the wages for those working the events, and even transportation. So apparently many presidents have left the White House in massive fucking debt, such as Bill Clinton, whose debt totaled between 2.28 and $10.6 million by the time he left office. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, Apparently, Harry Truman, he commissioned the White House's first bowling alley. FDR oversaw the transformation of a cloakroom into a 42-seat movie theater. That's a hell of a cloakroom. It's because he needs to sell tickets. Famous <laughs> <laughs> bills. <laughs> um, Hillary Clinton had actually converted one of the sitting rooms into the music room so that her husband could play the saxophone. And situated be below the North Portico, the basement of the White House could rival any indoor shopping mall. This space includes a flower shop, the White House Carpenters and Engineers Shop, which is responsible for repairing and maintaining furniture and equipment, a dentist's office, and even a bowling alley added by Richard Nixon in 1969. Wow. So the plan is two bowling alleys? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, God. So while the White House still has an exterior pool, its interior pool is now hidden beneath the floors. The indoor pool arch, I believe you had talked about, that FDR had put into um, the house in 1933 uh, to kind of soothe his polio. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that pool is actually underneath the current James S. Brady press briefing room. And um, that room in 2000, it was actually renamed the James S. Brady press briefing room in honor of James Brady, the press secretary who had been shot and permanently disabled during an assassination attempt on President Ronald Reagan in 1981. So, wow. yeah, I thought that was amazing. Um, this is my mom's favorite fun fact, because, of course, I had to, like, read them all to her. So Tom Hanks was apparently, Archie's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Tom Hanks apparently toured the White House in 2004, and he was shocked to find out that the press room was missing a coffee machine. And as the kind man that he is, he bought them one. 
So six years later, he sent them a new one after noticing that it was getting run down. And finally, in 2017, he sent the White House Press Corps a third gift. This time, it was a $1,700 espresso machine, along with a note reading, quote, keep up the good fight for truth, justice, and the American way, especially for the truth part. So my mom was like, of course he did. He's so amazing and wonderful. (laughs) He really is, though. That's so Tom Hanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. She's like, he's actually kind of known for doing very creative and like purposeful things like this. Yeah, he's known for being super kind, which is great. Like, what a wonderful reputation to have. I think so. I think I think my mother would genuinely be heartbroken and horrified if there were some like true scandal that would ever come out about Tom Hanks. She would be crushed. (laughs) Besides his love of volleyballs, I think I think we're yeah, creepy love of volleyballs where he plays, <laughs> right. paints, paints bloody faces on them. Yeah. Other than that, it's fine. It's fine. It's just fine. Totally normal. Okay. So Tom Hanks is a true American angel is the moral of that story. Um, so now apparently the uh, White House has hosted its fair share of parties, including many banquets. The state dining room is larger, is the larger of the two dining rooms in the White House and can seat up to 140 guests. Uh, otherwise, the kitchen can serve hors d'oeuvres to as many as 1,000 people, which sounds impressive, but I also know the statistics of Buckingham Palace, so it's really not that impressive. Um, (laughs) The White House kitchen is staffed by some of America's greatest food chefs who adjust their menus to the president's tastes, which some requests have included pork rinds covered in Tabasco for George H.W. Bush. So the late George H.W. Bush. And I find this gross because I can't imagine it, but Coca-Cola flavored jelly for Bill Clinton. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, I would would try that. Coca-Cola flavored jelly? Really? Yeah. They do like a Dr. Pepper barbecue sauce. That's really good. Oh, yeah. That does sound good. So, like the sweet with the jelly, I think would probably be good. Hmm. Yeah, I'd definitely give that a shot. Mm -hmm. So now, Archie, you had mentioned in your portion that James Hoban, who was the Irish immigrant that was... Um, that actually had like won a contest that George Washington had put out to design and build. Built the White House twice. Built the White House twice, yes. Um, So as you had mentioned, he was greatly influenced by a building in his native Ireland, the Leinster House. Leinster? Leicester. 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 L-E-I-N-S-T-E-R. Oh, yours has an N in it. Leinster. <laughs> Leinster is in English. I told you they just throw in consonants. Cons, yeah. forget it. <laughs> consonants. God damn it. Their words are spelled with a lot of not vowels. Right? <laughs> I do not want to buy a vowel. I need the other thing. Um, the Leinster House in Kildare, Dublin, um, does bear a striking resemblance to the White House in several ways, including a triangular pediment supported by four columns, dental moldings, and opposite-facing chimneys. In addition, now, Laura, this is when I need your help. Apparently, in France, just outside of Bordeaux, did I say that right? Bordeaux, yeah. Okay. Come on, it's a wine. I know you know that. <laughs> Well, I'm, no, I, was, it's I, was, I was trying to just ease you into the French. I did know that. 
Um, in the, now here we go, uh, Perigord Noir region of France, P-E-R-I-G-O-R-D. Yeah, Perigord. Okay. N- I know Noir. <laughs> <laughs> also a wine. Yes. Part of a wine name. <laughs> region of France is the Chateau de, oh, here we go. I'm going to Americanize the fuck out of this. Do it. Rastignac. R-A-S-T-I-G-N-A-C. Chateau de... Mm-hmm. Rastignac. Rastignac. Okay. No, you would see, you, you say the C. Oh, okay. You pronounce the C. Um, do you say knack like a big old, uh, <laughs> big old American? <laughs> yes. The French are actually now starting to emulate us in there. Cool, they should. Instead we're of the, actually sounding like shit sounding pretty, they're like, nah, let's do it the other way. Yeah, <laughs> right? We're the best. Um, anyway, in the Perigord Noir region of France is the Chateau de Rastignac, whatever, a no. building, sorry, France, um, a building that also bears an impressive resemblance to the White House. Apparently, the building's records were mostly destroyed after the chateau was torched during World War II, but some claim it was the inspiration for Thomas Jefferson's remodel of the White House during his two terms in office because he spent a significant amount of time in France as the U.S. minister plenipotentiary. Did I say that right? P-L-E-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-R-Y. Plenipotentiary? Sure. 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 Hooked on phonics works for me. <laughs> I can't even say consonant. I don't know why you would ever listen to anything. God, and I say port cochere and you're all over Port a cochet. Port a Oh my Sorry. God, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what I said. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> right, I think it's pronounced fuck you. <laughs> With the P is silent. <laughs> right. <laughs> The emphasis is on the U. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. Oh, God. Uh, FDR is the man responsible for actually making the White House entirely wheelchair accessible. Today, it's common knowledge that FDR was paralyzed below the waist due to polio, but at the time, he kept his condition hush-hush. His his additions of elevators and ramps made the White House one of the first wheelchair-friendly buildings in Washington. Now, um, this, yeah, you, Archie, touched on this part a little bit in your history. Um, Because of the Great Depression, Roosevelt had very little budget for annual repairs to the White House. And as a result, the building was literally collapsing. Nobody had actually realized how structurally unsound it was until engineers started working on President Truman's balcony in 1948 and found that not only were the floorboards cracking, but they were also swaying beneath people's feet. (laughs) They found that the buildings... Yeah, the building's weakened wooden beams were at risk of giving way at any moment. Um, so I thought that was, I was like, really, 1948, it took you guys that long to realize that, like, <laughs> this shit's about to implode. Like, wooden foundations are a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um So apparently, most of what we associate with the White House takes place in the West Wing. There's the Situation Room, the Cabinet Room, and of course, the Oval Office. However, none of that actually existed before Teddy Roosevelt called to have an executive office building built alongside the residence in 1902. So I don't know as many people realize that the West Wing isn't actually in that famous 
front, it's not in the actual main building of the White House. Um, so he, in 1902, he moved his cabinet into the West Wing immediately, but not himself. But he didn't actually move his office in there until 1909, um, or the office wasn't actually put in the West Wing until 1909 when President Taft doubled the wing's size and the Oval Office that we all know was included. And a pre President Taft was the first president to ever use that office. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I think a lot of people think that the White House is just the White House, that structure. They don't realize there are other buildings on the property. So part of the routine upkeep at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is making sure the White House stays true to its name. That means repainting every now and then and to maintain its bright white exterior. And that's a task that requires a whole lot of paint. At 55,000 square feet, it takes over 570 gallons of paint to cover the entire surface. Naturally, painting isn't the only maintenance required at the White House. In fact, between 750,000 and 1.6 million is spent on maintenance each year. So I, I, I can't afford that in the mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, like all high profile buildings, the White House has a secret entrance for the president and secret visitors. It opens onto H Street in Washington, D.C. and passes through two tunnels and an alleyway before arriving at the White House basement. This secret entrance, which is obviously not secret since we're talking about it here on our podcast and I found it on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> was designed in part as a response to World War II, as was an underground bomb shelter that was beneath, built beneath the White House. In the book, The Residence by Kate Anderson Brower, which was published in 2015, this book takes a look at the lives of White House service staff and reveals the hidden world of what they call simply the house. One of the per, um, particularities revealed in this book is that open staff positions are never advertised for the White House. All employees are found via word of mouth or recommendations. As a result, many employees belong to families that have been working in the White House for generations. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I know that, um, so like the Queen oh, of yeah, England. Background check? <laughs> like they're going all the way back to like, the hospital you were born in and the people working there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that like the queen of England, when any one of her palaces and, and houses are looking for staff, they do put like, it's advertised. You can apply to be a gardener or a chef in Buckingham palace. And, but um, white house, no, it's not like you can go on fucking, you know, career builder and, <laughs> apply to be at somebody in the White House. So I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so every day tourists flock to the gates of the White House to admire the verdant, impeccably groomed grounds, but they may be unaware that the house and grounds collectively known as President's Park is designated as one of 59 U.S. national parks. President's Park spans 18 acres and is immaculately maintained by 13 staff members, among them eight gardeners and a chief horticulturalist. I didn't know it was a national park. I thought that was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my last fun fact is that from President Adam's horse, Cleopatra, to President Obama's dog, Bo, presidential pets are treated like royalty at the White House. While most presidents have opted for the usual domesticated animals, others have welcomed more exotic creatures into the first family. John Quincy Adams, for instance, kept an alligator that is rumored to have lived in the White House bathroom. Look at Archie's face. <laughs> He's like, what the hell? 
Yeah, so it was kept in the White House bathroom. Uh, while President Martin Van Buren was presented with two rambunctious tiger cubs from the Sultan of Oman, yeah. uh, Congress promptly sent them off to the zoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, the alligator was safe to keep it the president, I'm guessing. Well, they, there's no mention of Congress doing anything with the alligator, but they did send the tigers off to the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, in closing... I do want to say that um, I found this this in an article that I thought was really quite um, perfect for my closing of the White House ghosts. It reads, quote, whether one embraces or mocks the paranormal, the many accounts that have spilled out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue over two centuries give ghosts an undeniable place in the country's history. They also make that address arguably the nation's most famous haunted house. Nice. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, I loved it. So in my know before you go, as I have said a couple of times, the address is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C. Now you can visit uh, the White House tours and event pa- events page at whitehouse.gov or call the White House Visitor's Office 24-hour information line at 202-456-7041. Are you guys aware of how you can get tickets to tour the White House? Do you know? Are they even doing that right now? They are. Wow, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. So, to request a White House tour, please contact your member of Congress. Contact information for all congressional offices can be found on congress.gov. If you're an international visitor and wish to schedule a tour, please contact your home country's embassy in Washington, D.C. Requests can be submitted up to three months in advance and no less than 21 days prior to the desired tour date. Tours are scheduled on a first-come, first-served basis, and limited number of spaces are available. Therefore, you are encouraged to submit your request as early as possible. White House tours are typically hosted Tuesdays through Saturdays, 7.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., excluding federal holidays and unless otherwise noted. If your tour is confirmed, please note that you will be signed a specific time and all tours may be subject to change or cancellation. And that's it. That's what I have on the White House ghosts and the fun facts about our nation's capital and where our president of the United States lives. So I thought those were some of the most. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I, uh, I learned a lot of stuff I had no idea about. I didn't know David Burns existed. I don't know why. Like, I mean, somebody had to own that land. Like, yeah, it's just kind of weird. <laughs> there was so much controversy too when um, they put the capital um, in DC, you know, to make the capital DC and stuff. Like, there was so much, yeah. so so much animosity um, as mm-hmm. to where it was going to be located. Um, that I'm not surprised that people were, yeah, and didn't want stuff there. You know, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I mean, Archie has always does such a really good um, research of the history because, it, like he says in a lot of episodes, he he tends to find these articles that have so much information. So it really does take a certain amount of skill to pull out point that like the highlights of the information to where it's still relevant, it still flows cohesively in the timeline of the history, and yet you're 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 leaving in like important parts and like some stuff is maybe interesting, but you know, it doesn't really pertain. So Archie does such a brilliant job every single week of, 
of finding great articles and choosing which information to include that people may not know. And that's one of the most, the compliments that we get about the podcast is that they always learn something new about the history of their favorite haunted locations. And that credit goes 100% to our co-host, Archie Bays. So Archie, great, great job as fucking always. Thank you so much. Look at how, look at how red is I know. He's all, oh, shucks, it's me. It is. Um, you. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I also, um, I had no idea that to actually tour the White House, you had to go through such lengths to, like, like, tour the White House. Call my congressman. What? Fuck. What? Um, It also, it made me. I can tell what? I'm sorry, you cut out. Oh, my internet. Yeah, my internet connection is getting really shitty right now. Uh oh. How come? Do we know? Did you hear anything I said? You you said your internet connection is getting really shitty right now. Yeah, you're you've been pausing off and on while I watch you via Zoom. Oh, so really? We may. Have, yeah, we may have to restart this connection here shortly. Yeah. So anyway, we're coming to the end of it anyway, guys. So um, Archie's internet is a little spotty. Do you want me to close it out? Do you want Laura to close it out? Should we have her do that since like she's like full-time payroll now? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Laura, close it out. (laughs) Are you sure you want me to do this again? All right, you can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. (laughs) On Twitter, Facebook. (laughs) H-O-A-H-podcast.com. Go there. Talk about how much you love me. I love yes. to hear stuff all about me. <laughs> we want to hear from the groupies. <laughs> Tell me all about it. What am anyway. I missing? Did, did I get everyone? I did? You, you did. You got everybody. Oh, yes. so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> also, both of you forget Patreon. Join join us on Patreon. (laughs) Exclusive content, $2 or $5 donation levels, patreon.com at H-O-A-H podcast. And that is it for us in our special episode of the White House Ghost, dropping here on Inauguration Day. And we will see you on Saturday with a brand new location. And it is in the vein of conspiracy theories because we got a lot more conspiracy theories on patreon we want you guys to come on over so we will see you on saturday bye guys bye